Welcome everyone to What the Force. I'm Marie Claire Gould, your host, and joining me for a special meta music and following Willow. And joining me to discuss the Willow score is one of the composers, Xander Rajinsky. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. I just think the world of, of what you've done, not only with Willow, but with Star Wars, it's just been such a wonderful journey uh, with podcast. I'm so happy that we managed to connect and that you were interested in talking about your work and the score and Willow and everything. Uh, Xander, I'm in awe of what you've put together for Willow. It's it's wonderful. You put on Instagram that you had written 821 pages of music <laughs> for Willow. <laughs> It was a, a a huge task, this show, but it was, I think, as, as you've heard from everybody else who's worked on this show, it was all pure joy, truly. I mean, it was, I think there was a period where I was working seven days a week for four months and usually a, not, a, not a day less than 10 hours. And I was thrilled the entire time. I mean, it was just, it was just joy. And everybody who works on it, John, everybody at Lucasfilm, it was, it was wonderful. So I, I'm... <sighs> I want that season two really badly. I want to do this all over again. <laughs> I want you to do it all over again. You've you've introduced so many interesting motific ideas into the score that have a chance to develop in different directions. And I'm really excited to dig into those in just a little bit. Um, you have such an interesting background. You started out, I think, as a composing intern under James Newton Howard. And I believe that was Snow White and the Huntsman. You have done your research. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, you've been kind of on projects, either working with him from a production perspective or composing additional music. Did you want to talk a little bit about how that happened for you? Certainly. I got inordinately lucky to have met James's son, actually, when I was in high school at an arts camp. And James is uh, such a wonderfully generous human being. And he said, why don't you come out and intern, you know, whenever, whenever you can. I, so I started when I was in high school, actually, I flew out because I, I became very close with, with James's son. And so I, I would fly out and I, my Thanksgiving break, my spring break of senior year of high school, I was living at the Howard household and interning there, um, which was so far beyond a dream. I mean, I, I was, I've been a huge James Newton Howard fan, like my whole life. So to be in that household, I, I, it's hard for me to express how bizarre that was. And then I, I went to USC and so I was in LA and I very purposefully went there so I could continue uh, my relationship with James and, and interned through all of college. And and uh, he gave me a job out of college and I was there for another five years. So in all, I was, I was at that studio for 10 years, which is um, a good chunk of time compared to the rest of my life. So uh yeah and he's 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 such a wonderful teacher too and so being able to be sort of raised in that environment musically was it's it's hard to to say how lucky i was it's like a dream come true from sort of a being able to apprentice like it's not just even like an internship it's like an apprenticeship where you have this master who's like taking you under his wing and into his family like you love star wars i love star wars you were certainly a padawan <laughs> <laughs> um no I, I you're you're exactly right I, and i think that's something unfortunately that's been sort of lost is 
I think apprenticeship and and truly learning the craft over a long period of time is is so important. And that's the way it was for centuries. Just get a little bit more responsibility um, until finally I when I uh, left and it was um, he was so supportive and. Then we started co-composing all these projects or, you know, I would do additional forum or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was fun just to see our relationship morph and continue. And um, yeah, he's just, I can't say enough good things about James. I love this thing that James Newton Howard said, which is that from a composition perspective, especially when you're working with a director, that it's really important to tell the same story that the director is trying to tell. If you feel like expanding on that, or is there something else that James has taught you that has really stuck with you? Certainly. I, I, you know, I think one of the most valuable things that he allowed me um, was, was sitting in the room during all the playback meetings. So even, even back to when I was an an intern and, you know, all the Hunger Games movies, all those things and hearing how he speaks with directors. And a lot of the time we come in at the, at this sort of end of the process, obviously, where they kind of see what they have. And that's a really terrifying moment <laughs> because they go, uh, and they don't have visual effects in, they don't have sound effects, they don't have their score in. So it, it's usually pretty flat feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it only gets better from there. But you're coming in also with, with directors who don't have language for music generally. And so they feel kind of out of their element because, you know, with the actors, they can speak in a certain way. And it's, they obviously know camera, everything else. Um, and so a big part of being a composer is is putting the director at ease and you know at saying we're we're in this together you know we're, let's mm-hmm. let's tell this thing together and I I think the best directors do direct you as if you were an actor of you know how how should this feel I don't need to know what instruments you want I, that's that's very secondary I think if they know their story it makes our job so much easier because from a scene to scene basis they can describe what the subtext is what what everything going on and it, it becomes extremely um inspiring i think when you have when exactly as james says when you can get on the same page of what is our story um yeah because like directors typically are dealing with themes and symbolic elements as well as just the expression of the character on screen and then they're dealing with sort of the set and all of those other aspects that they're also making decisions on. If more directors thought about it as a layer of theme and symbolism that is to produce human emotion, I think they would be better at it. <laughs> I think you're right. I think the ones that are very good are the ones that think that way. Yeah. Yeah. I do not envy directors. It is such an overwhelming task that you have to balance story and theme and Make all these decisions. And and, and everybody's looking at you and you just go, ah. So I feel very lucky. I just have to write the music. And when it's most successful is like when you have all the layers kind of singing together and they're all saying the same thing. And that is all down to the director giving the vision, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's something that I think is incredible about John Kasdan is he embodies his vision of this show. You know, it's it is so much this sort of weird intersection of all of his influences whether it's all these movies from the 80s and you know can't even begin to unpack what his dad's <laughs> influence on him Lawrence Gasden and yeah. Uncle George Lucas over there too <laughs> he loves 
deeply, deeply loves Star Wars and everything. And so it's it's just and and bringing all of that into this strange, wonderful show. Certainly, he is he is a man of vision for sure. What are your thoughts on composition? So like, how do you approach this? Do you kind of go for themes related to characters? You've already talked about feelings. Obviously, that's baked in. How do you approach when you're like going into this? Well, with this, luckily, since James did the first three, I had a really nice palette to start with thematically. So he gave me all sorts of themes and motifs. And and we had a lot of discussion, too, about, you know, what what are these what do these themes mean and and who are they connected to? I think when you have a, a big palette of thematic material, that is that's so much fun because then you go into all these scenes and go, oh, and I can do this and I can transform this and I can put this theme on top of this theme. And so they all just they they sort of create their own structure for you. And I think then all the creativity comes from what can I do in these parameters? If I want this theme here and this, how can mm-hmm. I transform it? How can I build it? And so many of these themes and motifs that James wrote are so mutable and can fit all these different feelings and whatever situations. So I, I think that's that's the fun part is how do we tie it all together thematically? And it's all really about structure. That's that's what it all comes down to is, is satisfying structure. I absolutely want to see a cut of a Willow episode with just your music because (laughs) like John Williams who was told by George to write for Star Wars like it's a silent movie your music speaks the language of the characters and the emotions so well on screen it's very very kind well there's a heck of a lot of music so you it probably would go wall to wall of all yeah it's like a bonus feature for for me specifically <laughs> Disney Plus, please. <laughs> for one person. For me, <laughs> just me. It feels sometimes like this this story is made for me with how I've talked about it on the show and like how much I easily identify different themes and uh, parallels to mythic story. It just it feels like it's speaking to me, but I know that it feels like it's speaking to a lot of people. And that's because it comes from a place of love and from a story that needs to be told. Absolutely. And and to your point, I mean, I think there are so many universal things that he's he's built into this story, but the specificity of it, too, is is its brilliance, I think. And I, man, I was so stunned by so many of your predictions. Just <laughs> thinking about it in terms of theme and 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 archetypal, you know, storytelling. I was like, how did they guess that that's going to happen? You know, in, in episodes, I think episode seven, you had all these ideas on. Oh my god, she's got all of it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Missy and I just read a lot of story and know a lot of things, and so you know, Joseph Campbell talks about how there's really only one story. Uh, but really, it is that, you know, th- these motifs are deeply psychological. And so they come back over and over and over. And if you can tap into that by listening to yourself, you're gonna, it's gonna rise to the surface. Yeah, which, which is what we get with John. So how did you get brought into this project? Obviously, James was James Newton Howard was brought on first. Were you like tapped? Were you like, because you you get a, you get a full album that is just yours. <laughs> yeah, I got two. It's crazy. I got so <laughs> he was looking for something that we could really do together after I left, and this popped up. And you know, he's known John since John was literally a child because James is best friends with Larry. And I had just worked on Light and Magic, which is a docu series mm. that Larry Kasdan directed. So 
the Kazan family kept me uh, employed for like a year and a half. So the idea was always that that James would do the first three episodes and I would do the last five. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucasfilm was just wonderful and open to it. And there were no questions, really. And and so I I did a bit of work on the first episode, too. I did the from when you first see the Gales until Eric is taken away. So that castle fight chunk. Mm-hmm. Across the rest of those episodes, he did everything. It was great having being able to be in this this discussion with James and and unpacking as he was writing. You know, what is what are you doing? What are what are we? What's the idea moving forward with this and um, larger themes and things like that? But uh, yeah, it was just it was James's generosity and Lucasfilm's openness to the whole thing. And the first thing I actually wrote for the show, funny enough, was for uh, episode five in the Wildwood when the Bone Reavers are dancing. Mm. I had to write music for them to dance to. <laughs> so I wrote a ton. I wrote like 12 minutes of Bone Reaver dancing music, uh, which I think ultimately got cut down to 30 seconds or something very small. But Like with the like sort of choreographed dance. Yeah, that's such a fun yeah. moment. And, and stuff in the background that you'll kind of hear. But uh, so that was that was my first way into the show, which is very perpendicular to the rest of it. But uh, that was a fun, fun little job. Did you have any experience with like the Willow world before composing for the show? So that's, that's the embarrassing part is I, I knew the score actually, because it is so famous. It's James Horner and it's amazing. Yeah. But (laughs) I uh, had never seen the movie, which is insane because I would have eaten this up. I would have loved this as a kid. Um, And I am such a massive George Lucas fan in all ways. I'm the biggest Lucas defender. Um, So it's crazy. It's crazy. I didn't see it. But I when I did see it, when James said that we would be doing this, uh, you know, it's 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 such a fun movie. It oozes the thing that would make you nostalgic for it, you know, in in every single way. So charismatic. I mean, Val is incredible. Um, The score, everything is is sort of harking back to an older time. It's it's very Errol Flynn, you know, Mm. uh, Robin Hood esque, and but also so vibrant and fun, and and anyway, and all the effects are wonderful. And it's still like this balance between comedy and like dark things that are happening, like with the death dogs and with Bab Morda and all of that. Like it's, it's such an interesting balance as a movie. I'm obsessed with it. I've been obsessed with it since I was a kid. So this is like great to hear that even now it still works. You know, as you're taking on a project. Totally. I mean, yeah, I think that's the that's the genius of George. He's able to scare you enough that you would want to be scared as a kid and he's able to thrill you and whatever. And and he's he's just so, so impressive with stories. So he really uh, is. And obviously, Ron Howard is is amazing and the whole cast is great. So how could it have gone wrong? Do you have a a favorite uh, James Horner original theme? Well, I think. Hmm. I, I probably end up using Mad Mardigan's theme the most. Um, yeah. Which is, it's kind of like a heroic. Yeah. It, it makes sense that you would pull that in when people are having particularly heroic moments. Absolutely. And and we also, we wanted to evoke Mad Mardigan so much since he wasn't able to appear on screen. Mm-hmm. That, you know, some of the stories that Alagash tells and mm-hmm. obviously he was somewhat of a stand in for Val in, in that episode. And, and throughout and, and Kit's journey of 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 dealing Trying to find him feelings yeah. with her father and finding him. I mean, everything yeah. it's to to be able to to bring his music in was like kind of bringing him into the show. 
Um, so there was a lot of moments for that. And I love Willow's theme, but um, there were less sort of ironically, I guess there, there were less moments for him because uh, he's, he's kind of not the same character. And, and that theme mm-hmm. is so sweet and endearing and direct uh, and naive. And, and he is, as he said, he is the last Jedi Luke version of that. And, and he's kind of broken down and it's, um, it felt wrong to, to play that theme in, in most places. So the, the handful of places that I sort of was picking and choosing where they should go. I hope those were the effective moments because I thought those were, those were the moments where we want to have that feeling for, for him as, you know, as he says goodbye and, and we think that he maybe is leaving the show. Yeah. There's an, a really beautiful melodic version then it breaks your heart because and it it just plays up the moment which is he think we think he's leaving in episode seven at the waterfall's edge and he turns back exactly and it just it felt like the right moment so i i did it (laughs) horner could write a great tune and he he knew what he he knew so many ways to to change his tunes too i mean i think that that first that scene in the tent when mad mardigan is is going up to sorsha i what what he does in that in that yeah it's just so it turns into like brilliant. romance <laughs> yeah it's so good so anyway it's it's been a it's been a wonderful time digging into his music you use so much coral i'm i'm impressed by the levels of coral that you use uh it's it's actually unbelievable that lucasfilm cut a check for this <laughs> they they were just they were so generous and i think you know obviously I, I would say to the benefit of the show, you just can't replace a real orchestra and a real choir. Mm-hmm. And yeah, our Elise Willis originally came on as the choir contractor. What the forest friend. <laughs> what the forest friend. And then, you know, she she would sort of stand in the in the front. And when you when you're working with a choir, it's so much of it is about vowel shape and mm-hmm. there's a whole different language to to a choir than to an orchestra. And so, you know, the conductor would sort of say something to her and then she would also. So at a certain point, I went, wait, why? Why is Elise not just on the podium? So I stuck her on the podium. I said, you you conduct. You, you got this. Um, and I think that's really the first time that she's conducted like her mm-hmm. sort of peers. And she was amazing. Um, she was so she was so great. And and we had, as you say, so much material for that choir. It just speaks to how impressive they are as musicians that you know they're not they're just seeing it on the day they've never heard it before yeah it it feels like it's so through it because it's almost like the i don't know the the music of the bloodstream of the universe is the choral i used to talk about how in the prequels the choral is almost like this greek chorus like it Mm -hmm. It cries with the characters and it exalts the characters like in in Duel of the Fates or the Battle of Heroes. And like it feels like the the coral is at some points like this evil growing thing underneath the ground. And yet at other parts, it's, you know, sweet and like a lullaby. Like, oh, it's beautiful xander oh thank you it was it yeah they were i all my praise goes to them but it's that was also actually um now that you mentioned that that was something that was very early on in our discussions with with john some of he had a handful of 
relatively specific musical ideas that he he sort of laid out ahead of time and he for when you know when they're going through i guess that's sort of a portal i don't i don't really know what the term is really when but when they're looking into the void and mm. you know episodes six through eight um he he's really wanted to evoke the sort of ligety um music that you hear in in well they were original pieces but but in all the kubrick movies that really scary huge cloud of clustery terrifying voice yeah it was like buzzing almost yeah like like um yeah i know what you're talking about it's you know it's a terrifying effect that that was a major building block for what our sound of evil was mm-hmm. and then when we see the narcotic in uh i guess that's the first episode right when graden first starts uh, yeah, it's when they're crossing the bridge of the Mother's Gate and then they they see it like written on the wall and he reads it. So there we actually, James brought in chanting as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. So that was the other sort of vocal element. It was the chanting and these terrifying voices from hell, really. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, yeah, that was the groundwork, I think, for, for evil of the worm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then there's also another theme that I'm obsessed with, which, or motif that, um, is these like women that are sort of chanting in addition to like, cause you, you often have masculine voices chanting, but there's these women that are chanting and it's, um, just as they're escaping the, the hut with the woodsman, you hear it, I think the first time. I'm obsessed with this. Like it's it's so it's so quick, but it's it's just so satisfying. I don't know why. It's like darkness or something. Did he tell you what to evoke with that dark forest? Well, that yeah, that that kind of became our it it sounds like the crone sort of, you know. Yeah. It's, it's rasping low female voice. Um and it's it, it it's hidden in the textures uh, until the end of the the show um and yeah we he james and i sort of took from various world chant ideas and certain things we took audio and and manipulated it and certain ones we we had the choir also come in and um we had these little sort of figurations where the sopranos would put these little grace notes where it would sort of uh, blip around and it was a really cool effect and um, just anything we could to add this creepy texture to the whole thing and and add this very there's there's something that is ritualistic about the whole about just vocals in general um, mm-hmm. that harkens to it to a kind of an ancient age. Yeah, I, John Williams often talked about that with regards to using the words that he used in uh, Duel of the Fates to kind of evoke older time periods, right? And uh, was there any words with the chanting, or was it kind of like whatever the choral came up with? <laughs> so we had a bunch of these difficult, weird syllables that we kind of picked. Uh, and they didn't mean anything generally, but as it went on, we had to describe every single time how to pronounce all these things. So it really slowed us down. So kind of near the end, I moved a little away from that. Um, but certain, certain sections actually, I used Latin, mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, you know, when Borman's trying the, the, uh, uh, the for the first time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, 
you know, there's a lot of quite literal Latin for a lot of these things of, of, um, you know, the armor of God and stuff, uh, just old biblical passages and things that I, I found. There are little bits and pieces of that around as well. That's but, quite the funny Easter egg. It's sort of like the all the narcotic that says all these like Cthulhu-esque things <laughs> across <laughs> across the entire show. Uh, yeah, that's just like, hey, this is a wall and it's got some narcotic on it. And it says like, and Yogg-Sagoth uh, will be the one or something like that. <laughs> it's like, now you've got Latin that talks about the armor of God. <laughs> That's good. I love it. I wonder if anyone will be able to point it out. That would be amazing. I hope Latin scholars don't take too fine a, a comb to it because it may have been bastardized in some way, but <laughs> I tried my best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with a couple of themes in particular. Jade and Kit's theme. It's glorious. Uh, Graydon's theme. Uh, I absolutely love the adventurer or quest theme that is in is in like throughout it's like it's layered everywhere because <laughs> yeah and, and it's often associated with kit just because like she's the focus of so many uh heroic moments where she's trying to figure stuff out in mm-hmm. a sometimes an often messy way uh and i also love when uh Shalindria's theme plays and it goes uh, <laughs> when she's trying to use the wand in mm-hmm. episode five <laughs> Yeah, that was that was editorial's um, idea, and I just sort of mimicked it, and and just had the choir kind of go, eh, you know, kind of <laughs> fall afterwards. Um, but I, I thought that was a hilarious sort of misdirect that they had. But yeah, no, I've, I've a lot of these are are, are James's, so I, I just have to to say how amazing he is with all this stuff. And <laughs> and Kitten Jade's theme was really fun because believe it's the second cue of the show after you there's the fight and then it's immediately into this Mm -hmm. and obviously at that point we have no idea what their relationship is um but being able to grow that theme over the course of eight episodes and and it it has such beauty and longing to it but it also plays this very sweet little friendship theme at the beginning and and so being able to sort of bring that out into you know the moment when jade decides to jump over the waterfall and save kit or at least go after Kit mm-hmm. um, to bring in that music um, and 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 have it in its full sort of yearning is was you know it's just a delight to be able to do that. It's funny you know with with a lot of these things because you're just jumping in and you just have to write the music and you kind of go or you're going scene by scene in the beginning. You kind of just follow theme every once in a while and go oh that that works with that person. So for instance with Graydon's. Graydon and it's sort of Graydon and Alora's theme together. Largely, it was just the scene when you see in Nakamar when when Alora's sort of cradling uh, Graydon's head. Mm-hmm. Start. I started there, and then I went. Well, maybe that kind of makes sense thematically as we continue on, and their relationship grows together. And then it, it's it was very useful <laughs> as the show progressed. Uh, Did you want to listen to it right now? Sure. We could listen to one of the plays of Graydon and Alora's theme. Okay. I think my favorite is actually uh, Bigger Than Anything uh, yeah. because of how before this, it actually is quite sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas this one is uh, almost triumphant in mm-hmm. in its expression. Um, As Willow tells him, you're going to be a great man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness.
There's like, uh, is it flute? Is it piccolo? <laughs> There's like a, a beat to it with the woodwinds. They're all fluttering on top. Yeah. yeah ideas. Um, yeah, it's, it's the whole band. Everybody's playing at that moment. <laughs> it's great. And if we compare it to earlier on in uh, The Wrong Hands, it is almost like a stark contrast to do one versus the other. Mm-hmm. So let's just do that real quick. This is so gentle. <laughs> Yeah, this being the moment, obviously, when um, he's asking Borman for help. Yeah. In the woods? woods yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he's unsure and he's worried and uh, a baby in so many ways <laughs> versus like he's. He's full of where he's at and more confident. And because you've tied Elora and Graydon's themes together, I think, I think they're tied. Are they tied? <laughs> oh, actually, motivically between her theme and, and mm-hmm. his. Um, they very well could be. I have not thought about it in that way. I, I really thought about that theme as as largely just about the two of them because it's. Yeah. Kind of any time that Graydon has his own moment, it's usually him thinking about Alora. So um, <laughs> pretty much across the board, that is just what happened. I, I it's sort of like ha- how Han Solo never really got a theme until he got his mm-hmm. own movie. Totally, I, and it, you know it's funny. And and uh, a couple of these themes in the first episode don't necessarily go with how we ended up using them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my way of justifying this is that. Uh, John Williams thought that the main theme of Star Wars was Luke's theme. Yeah. And he kind of scrapped that idea. <laughs> it just became the main theme. So when you're first starting, sort of going through these things, you 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 see what attaches to what characters. And we had this specifically one meeting where James's assistant did these sort of piano transcripts of what he had written already uh, of the themes. And we sat down and just sort of labeled what we thought they were. And so on some of these, I scratched it out like four times and re- come up with a new name for it. And actually, well, blah, 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 blah. so, and those are the papers I continued to use through the entire. Uh, <laughs> so it's, there are some of them that have uh, several, several cross outs. So what, what were you going for with this theme? Like what, what were you trying to create? With, with Graydon's theme? Mm-hmm. Well, initially, because it was it appeared in 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 Nakmar, there was something just so tender about that shot of of and it's pulling back, and you just see Alora with Graydon's head in her in her lap, and it was this this just this such sweet caring, mm-hmm. and that's that was just the idea that worked for that scene, and and it continued, and that, that and their their relationship was very much that, and it grew to the best version of that when he's just like i just love you and i don't i don't care to hear it back i just want to tell you that um and it it just seemed to stick with them very well yeah and there's there's something there's just so much longing in it too and wistfulness of this sort of unrequited love i think which which it is until the end i mean he Mm -hmm. um who knows season two what's going to happen but exactly um 
Yeah. A lot of it's just instinct, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it felt right. And I also think there's like a lot of sadness when the theme starts out. Like there's a lot of less like and as it plays in certain moments, you're like, wow, Graydon is so sad. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, it comes fully into like sort of that power of the first version that we played, which is him mm -hmm. just sort of, you know, accepting his feelings. And as Missy and I talk about on Following Willow, how that is the secret to kind of accessing all of your power, right? Is when you accept your feelings and you know the truth and you admit things. Absolutely. And I think that's what the whole show is so successful at is, is pacing that in such a satisfying way. Exactly. I really want to talk about the main mission theme because it's kind of like, I don't know, it's it's so fun. Well, it's officially named the Questy theme now. Oh, well, is it? Oh, well, my God. I'll, I'll cross it off my my little my, uh, my <laughs> paper and it's now not the main theme. It's the Questy theme. It's the Questy theme. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, this is Succeed or Fail. Uh, it rocks. Like <laughs> I know, I know it's James, but like it rocks. And then whenever you pull it out, sometimes you pull it out later on in the score, and it's sad. Like you play with this guy, like it is, Everything. it is wild. <laughs> yeah, he knew from the the get go that this was going to be the centerpiece, and I think it was possibly one of the first things that he wrote, if not the first thing he wrote. And what's cool about it too is that it has several sections too it has this little synthy call out at the beginning which i end up using in a big orchestral way and then you know the tune is is great and alan meyerson who who mixed the whole score um who's worked on every massive movie ever and he's done all of hans's movies hans zimmer's movies and james just said make this sound like an album like make this sound like it's a record like, not a film score like uh, a rock album almost exactly. like it is it rocks so <laughs> let's dig into it Oh, yeah. Like, so, do you need motivation at the gym? <laughs> <laughs> this is like a weightlifting, I'm running on a treadmill. You're going to succeed or you're going to fail. So <laughs> it it absolutely is like do or do not. There is no try from a Yoda perspective. He, it, it's it's anthemic and it's uh, it's great. I mean, yeah, he it was also a somewhat early idea to to include electric guitar in the in the score. And it's not. Oh, yeah, it's 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 in aid and it's in. I mean, it's in bits and pieces of the whole show, but. Um, James used it in, in great ways. Uh, and, and in episode three, it's like really prominent. Um, yeah. As an actual battle at the end. I don't know. It just, it sounds like a rock concert at the end when there's that battle. There is so much like 
interesting instruments on top of the orchestral. So there is, of course, like the guitar, there is the synth, the choral, and it all blends so well together. It's fun. Oh, I'm very glad. And that's also just the brilliance of Alan Meyerson being able to take all those elements and make sure it all sounds <laughs> good and can coexist. Uh, uh, let's uh, dig into Dove's theme. And there's kind of two versions I wanted to play. Um, one from the James Newton Howard score, which we get introduced to it. This is from Castle Romances. You have a take on it later on, which I think is really cool. So let's dig into this first. David W. Collins, of course, has pointed out that there are some similarities to Ray's theme, which I find super interesting because I've been obsessed with uh, Ray's theme for many years now. <laughs> I don't know that there were, that was that was a, a, a purposeful connection, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, it's it's such a um, a sweet and innocent and naive mm -hmm. um, theme, and and for her at the you know where it is it's it's fun to have two themes really for her as as the dove the the person who she was before she mm -hmm. started to transform into the the goddess before her maiden to mage transformation <laughs> um, uh, and then we have Laura as as she becomes mm -hmm. she does become the goddess and so i i think there there are so many moments in the show where where you get that sort of when she pulls back into herself i think again i'm i'm sorry to mostly talk about my music it's just that I know no, it's, a little it's what better, you're but, more familiar with. Yeah, you know, of course. The moments like when she in episode in, in Nakmar, when she's telling uh, Kit, you know, I met these these people in the forest mm. and you start to see her, you know, it's just you realize like she's just this girl who's and, and she's realizing the the stakes of of what this really means. Um, and I, I know a lot of people want, what's, what's that scene for? But I think that scene is so important of the, of the, um, Hannah Waddingham's character in the forest because it's showing like, yeah, people are going to die and she sees it right in front of her. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in that moment, it's this very sort of sparse woodwind version of it. And then also, you know, moving on, it, it can, it, it recurs in when, you know, when she and Eric are, are talking, um, at the end under the tree and then he starts to kind of gaslight her. Um, but you, you see Wanda <laughs> again and you see her as she was the, the sweet sort of, uh, innocent person before, um, and, and very vulnerable. And, um, yeah, so it, I, it was, and it's, it's the great thing about it is, and the great thing about all of James's themes, mm -hmm. is that there are a lot of, there are multiple components to them too, is that, I mean, in succeed or fail, he has this chunk at the beginning. He has then this intro section. The theme has two, has a first phrase and a second phrase. So you can just pull from any part of it. Mm. And with Dove's theme and Alora's theme, there are so many little components that you can draw from. You can just do that rocking six eight idea, or you can do 
uh, there's sort of a little voice call out at the beginning of it too. It's he, there's, it's just a million ways that you can use any of these themes. I really love, and I, and I started on my notes, <laughs> not how this ends. Um, it's so good. Uh, as the transition between Allura's theme and like from Dove's theme to Allura's theme. Uh, do you want to listen to that night now? Absolutely. Yeah, let's go in. Oh. doubt and everything layered in. It's just the beginning of Laura's theme right there. Yeah. I believe. I believe in you. Tough. <laughs> <laughs> the moment that david w collins made the decision to not use sound design at all and that's a win in xander's column oh, because it was the oh. right choice well let me tell you the other thing with this <laughs> of you know the sound the sound team did so many amazing things with just with filling out environments i mean mm -hmm. episode five it's so you could you wouldn't be able to know how much work they did unless you saw it without, but they just fill out the whole um, Bone Reaver village in a way that you can just see a few people on screen, but it feels like it's alive. And when I heard their work for the first time on that, it was amazing. But in, in episode seven, right, right in this moment, it'd be so easy to, to overlook this, but that scene was so so loud yeah you know, that it was just fans and fans and fog and whatever and you could barely hear them speaking and i went oh my goodness how are they going to clean this up whatever and the cast did amazing adr and they yeah it in such a beautiful way and so i was so grateful that my music could kind of that it could poke out um as they were as this whole scene was going down and i i was very you're grateful. like through the magic of skywalker sound <laughs> 
they made it all sound good. Um, and of course they would, but it's just, you know, it's still a, a magic trick that it can, it can feel so effortless that it, of course it was just recorded like that. But when I was trying to play back for everybody, I was trying to crank the music over the fans on set. Um, and another funny little bit about this this cue was uh, episode seven. I had to write very quickly, uh, so pretty much from the time that Borman looks over the edge of the waterfall to the end of the episode mm-hmm. uh, was all written on a Sunday. <laughs> uh, and this cue was written. I, I, I finished this cue in two hours. It was just like because it just writing lyrical music like this is just it, it i don't know especially I, it I've flows been, out of you it was just yeah i got into that flow state and the scene is so good and and the two of them are so good that um you know it, it just it came with it, it. yeah um, i was it. gonna ask you which which cue gave you the most energy is this the one even though it was a very short amount of time i i loved working on this the the other ones that i really am happy with are i think it's just because i like the scene a lot is uh, <laughs> The track is admissions. It's when when they're they're out under the starry sky. I mean, I think that's right. Just so it's Alora and Kit mm-hmm. talking together, and uh, yeah, that that's such a wonderful scene with like how they create. It's like magic how they created that scene, and then we get your gorgeous score underneath. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted that to be a centerpiece choir sort of moment right there. Mm-hmm. And again, they were just amazing. The, the, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention just to further show how incredible these musicians are, each one of these episodes, the strings, winds, brass, percussion, choir were all recorded separately. So <gasps> I only did the strings and then I only did winds and then I only did brass. And I, so so each one was was separate. So we had, they would, first strings would play, then the winds would listen back to what the strings were doing and then the brass would put it on top of that and then percussion would come and do that. And they were able to just make it sound like they were all in the room together. And this was originally a COVID consideration. Then I, it sort of made sense in terms of our schedule. But uh, And on top of that, we did the enti- entire strings per episode. I had uh, two sessions. That was It's six hours, but really it's more like um, five hours, I guess, with, with union breaks. So they did all of it in five hours. And then winds, brass, percussion, they were just a single session of three hours. So they would do... Like the brass did all of episode eight in two and a half hours. And there's 44 minutes of music, I think we recorded. And then the choir had four hours per episode. On episode eight, they were on every single cue. They're amazing. They brought so much incredible musicianship and artistry to all of this on a ridiculous schedule. They, it all worked out. And, and it's amazing that Lucasfilm paid for all of this and, and allowed us to do this. And we all. get to keep it. We get to keep it for real. <laughs> it too. exists. It's on. It's on Spotify. It's real. <laughs> what I'm. What I'm. So impressed with every time I speak with somebody who is involved in the show, like on Instagram or on Twitter or anything, everyone's like, everyone did their best. Like everyone and everyone loved this and everyone found joy in this production and it comes through every piece of it xander it's it's so true everybody was just working their tail off but having such a good time that's just a top-down thing i think mm-hmm. all the producers on it lucasfilm pippa who's the um pippa anderson who's the senior vice president of post-production there she was at every scoring session and she was so lovely and i i have Nothing but the kindest words for every single person that I I worked with on the show. It's just so nice to hear instead of like 
I don't know. Just and I know uh, movies and television are made in a variety of ways, but just hearing consistently the love across the board for this product, like it makes you feel better as an audience goer that there wasn't like people like fighting or mm-hmm. you know like everybody loves this and you can love it too <laughs> <laughs> i know there are there are a lot of what you would have thought were joyous projects to work on that were hellish behind the scenes i've heard yeah. so many horror stories so. and through the magic of television it exactly. it comes out okay and that's fine i mean i know that happens but it's just kind of nice to hear that everybody is good you know in this and everybody felt the same drive forward Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely let's talk about the twisted theme in gesundheit which is uh sort of the allura theme (laughs) but like taken (laughs) a little like because she's off right like this is during the minds of skellen and her powers are a little on the fritz and jade's like it's not you and she's like it's me but (laughs) yeah um it's sort of like oh she's is she going to do it? Is she going to be able to yeah. do it? You take that that heroic theme of hers and yeah, twisted is the word. going on here <laughs> what's what's happening in this section yeah like, um yeah it, I mean, it feels very overwhelming like what it is it is that scene yeah as 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 everything is sort of twisting and she finally um everything's going sideways and then cutting back to the trolls as they're walking through um trying to go back and oh god there's somebody up there yeah. we have to go get them and uh and then she finally sneezes and it's all right uh yeah you can definitely hear <laughs> in in the skeleton episode um how much i revere john williams because there's a lot of stuff i'm taking from him <laughs> not directly okay. i need some examples sander you got to own to it <laughs> oh no I, there's nothing that i specifically I have listened to so much John Williams in my life that it's in my blood now. So there's, mm. I, I try not to stay. You know, he, he only, he only did homage to the best too. <laughs> and yes, he is the best now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, you know, he's also been a way in for me on all the things that he loved, all the composers of Eric Korngold and William Walton. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly went back to, all those scores when I was working on this too, because there's just so much inventiveness in, in the orchestration. And when you're, when you're having to, you know, turn out 821 pages, it's, it's fun to look at these things and go, Oh, this little orchestrational idea is cool. Let me bring our themes into it and sort of mm-hmm. mix it around and just, just to see what other, it's just inspiring seeing really good work. <laughs> uh, and uh, John Williams is always good work. So it's like a playground and, Speaking of a playground, you uh, there's some jazz in Borman's theme. Mm-hmm. It, it's fun. I was like, is that a John Williams like salute because of his jazz like 
background or was it just you just trying to make, uh, I don't know, is jazz sexy for Borman, I guess? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, Borman's theme was sort of came about as I was really thinking of it as a drinking song. You know, so the, oh. like, what he would have, da, 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 he'd it'd just be something that you kind of drunkenly sing in a wherever in, in, in any one of those places you see in his big uh, recounting yeah. his tales. Um, but uh, yeah, that w- that was the primary sort of idea um, because he is he's a Han character. He's also a Jack Sparrow character. And obviously that was an influence. Mm hmm. But the escape tales, yeah, that was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, it takes I, it to a next level. Like yeah. it is, it is wild. I love it so much. That was really fun with the orchestra because the orchestra was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Is this for your own album? Because this is not like what we've been doing. Are you slipping this in? <laughs> yeah, this is for my own EP. Um, no, it was so much fun. Yeah, I, I, I grew up. Actually, really, the thing that made me want to do music was falling in love with jazz. And Ray Charles was like massive for me when I was nine years old. Like he just like opened me up to music. So um, uh, that's yeah, I would have quit piano altogether probably if it hadn't been for me switching to jazz lessons. Uh, and and it was it's I love writing this type of music. So Escape Tales was a blast. And and John, I can't even remember the specific note that John gave me. Uh, after I'd sent a draft of this, um, I think it was basically more, <laughs> uh, and, and he always <laughs> go he always, crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so I added in jazz flute and the, you know, the women sort of yeah. these sighing figures. The and stuff. sighing. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait for people to listen to this cause they're just going to lose their really? minds. Like, Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that was a lot of fun for sure. So in this, in this, the notes from John were just, just go crazy. So let's, let's listen to it. <laughs> it also feels like this is what plays like in Borman's car when he's like driving down the road. Totally. This is like not the gym. It's the ride home from the gym. (laughs) (laughs) It's the cool down one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was it was really fun, too, because on this on this project, knowing 
exactly what musicians were playing what and having names in my head of who they were. And it was, it's all the best musicians in LA. Um, I was so lucky. Um, Tim Lou, the contractor just got the whole, the whole crew. And it was, you know, we were sort of switching dates. John Williams was coming in for Indiana Jones the days we were off and he, you know, and a lot of it was the same orchestra. And, um, the person who played first flute, um, on nearly every episode, she's just, she's unbelievable. She's so, so good in every single way. And, um, she had done jazz. We asked her to do jazz flute on this one cue in Ryan, the last dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you also worked on with, uh, James Newton Howard as well. Right. And she just, she just killed it on that one too. Again, it's just, she's, she's a beautiful classical musician, but also, but she's amazing up doing these jazz flute riffs and, and that evokes such a specific thing. You know, it's like, uh, I think forever tied to Anchorman too. (laughs) And then the brass musicians too. I, all those, all those, the people in the, in the brass section are incredible jazz musicians too. I mean, they have amazing chops, but, they are on every jazz score and they are just as good. As, so they were thrilled to do this. Uh, they just wanted to do more takes of it. Um, and I was so sad. I didn't have more, more for them, but um, yeah, just. Well, about. this is like a uh, season two se- season three goals. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, John, can I do one more of these? And let me say, Amar is so funny in the show. He is so funny. What an absolute gem. So getting to score him in this like amazing scene is just so good. <laughs> I do want to talk about Kit and Jay's theme in more detail. Uh, do you have a favorite play of it that you want to play? Uh, um, you could play the first instance of it. I think that's probably sure. the first version, which is in uh on It's in one. Yeah, one day. growing love (laughs) it's like a seed and it's tentative and you're like i'm gonna break it (laughs) it's it's yet another example of just a great james theme like yeah you know that that was the thing there were so many pinch me moments on this but sitting there and getting to work with this theme and 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 alora's theme because they're so classically james um i was like oh I get to play in the sandbox with his tunes. Like, how how great is this? Is this not the most fun thing in the world? And uh, yeah, boy, he he gets so much in that in that one little you know what is it a minute long cue, and it just works in so many ways. And and as their love grows, it's as you say, it has so much longing and and also sweetness to it. And yeah, and newness and like uh, it's tender. 
yeah, it just it feels right for them, which is so nice to like hear. <laughs> yeah, it's another grand slam. Yeah. <laughs> he just gets it. <laughs> he just gets it. He All right. So easily. Uh do you want to move on to sort of the evil themes? Sure. Yeah. Of, of the show. I mean, it, it's a very, very simple four note idea. Yeah, and you'll hear it a thousand times in the span of uh twenty seconds in courtyard attack. So that's probably the the easiest little you I mean you could play probably five seconds of it and people will get the idea. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But then you layer on top of it with yeah, other things. Good. Yeah. And it's like a it's like an inevitability to me. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I like that idea. Because it's like a trudge. Like, They're coming for you. They're coming for you. But the gales and and the crone are coming. Yeah, it's, you know, it's there's certain things where it's good to have a full theme with multiple parts. And sometimes it's good to just have a small little motif of four notes that you can really brand evil with <laughs> it's the jaws theme of willow there you go uh, <laughs> two notes but you get four <laughs> yeah, i get four john um, <laughs> no it, it's able to work in so many ways also and it, it and enter in different you know just be slid in in different uh functions mm-hmm. and it coexists with as we talked about earlier all the other choral elements of of the chanting and the big scary sort of vocal mass uh sound but the the one the one thing which I think um, is a fun little Easter egg, which no I would be very impressed if anybody picked up on, is in uh, is in episode seven when Lily uh, says that she's the crone in that scene, or right mostly does. And there's this big which I think you even mentioned um, when you were talking about episode seven. Um, there's this big rush of romantic music as she like throws herself at him and they can right. and that top the the tune on top of that is the is that crone theme is that evil servants of the worm theme uh but i just make it very sort of pretty melodic um and as you and then after you you hear it sort of just in the high violins continuing um and so it's it's uh it's it's fun to to be able to hint at evil coming with it before before you actually know. Let's listen to that. And if you if you continue here, you can hear sort of high violin harmonics echo. I mean, everybody knew she was the crown, I think. But <laughs> if you didn't. Did they? Was- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the crone is evil, but she's going to be hot. And people are like, Marie Claire. <laughs> hot crone. Hot crone. Uh, no, that's amazing. I love the swell. It reminds me of like classic Hollywood like romantic kisses. Like it, it harkens back to the golden age of Hollywood. And 
then you just have this like again how you play it is it disconcerting but it ties to this like almost timelessness like it it works so well as the theme for the servants of the crone because you could just you could sneak that sucker in anywhere (laughs) everywhere yeah yeah. (laughs) that's that's also the the usefulness of a very simple motivic idea is that it's very easy to manipulate in any way that you want um and a fun thing about this scene uh which i i actually told uh your your brethren at, at willow talk over there was that this scene, what Lily says is word for word from the original trailer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was John Kasdan was, he was like, I got to get in there. I, I just love this, <laughs> all the voiceover here. Um, so, uh, yeah, as it continues, that's. that's but like, uh, what is real? Mm-hmm. Forget what it you know. Me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you mind if we, if we just play the like new girl? crone theme certainly yeah Yeah. which i i'm calling it the crone theme it's uh it i i don't know if it is but i'm obsessed with it because it evokes for me the feelings of uh, a dark goddess um in in that there's almost like it it feels like multiple femme voices speaking at the same time or chanting at the same time but Mm -hmm. like in almost a little bit of a, a dissonance uh like or off center and that's why i'm obsessed with it so <laughs> yeah and this whole idea actually under here those those belly ideas that's kind of the um bell dash e not belly ideas uh is that sort of metal thing is, is the immemorial city sort of soundscape that, that John wanted to create. So it kind of sounds like like wind is rushing through like a wind chime. Mm-hmm. There's the buzzing. city to your point sounds like just winds you know like an emptiness yeah exactly um that's a that's a good way to put it and and it has various wind instruments from around the world too that i i layer in and put delays on and various things so so it feels like that we got way more evil uh motifs in this or or just like the language of the evilness, but we didn't, you could hear it. It was in there, but it's like layered in with all of the other buzzing. All um, the, everybody going wild. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of if there's a better example, but I think folks can, can listen through and hear the evil everywhere. <laughs> hear the evil, hear the evil. And I think, I think all we have remaining is our, our good friend Willow, which mm-hmm. it took him a long time to get here. um yeah i mean i besides i think the very beginning we really don't use the willow theme very much as 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 we spoke about Mm -hmm. you hear it i guess when he first 
breaks in and in the high tower and the horns the bomb ba ba bomb ba 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 bomb you mm-hmm. hear it in mm-hmm. a like, heroic way there's also the 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 main moment when when Alora really tries at the end of the Skellen episode to to get Kit out and it feels like this passing of the torch or lit, quite literally passing of the wand to Alora and and you see Willow as he he tried and he failed um, and I think there there was something that went back to that original Willow for me that it is an Alora moment but it's also very much a, a Willow moment um, and then obviously as he as he says goodbye. But the one, the one moment, the Easter egg moment that I, I wanted to mention is that when, when he's telling Graydon that he's a fraud, you can hear kind of a messed up little version in the flutes. Um, and so if anybody wants to go back and take a listen to that, that's my one little tiny thing. Because I went, well, yeah, it's that moment of his, his sort of, you go back to this little this, this child that, that um, was so much was expected of him and he... I'm a fraud, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it felt like a little... <laughs> I'm not a great like, sorcerer. Yeah. Oh. And uh, so he kind of like shrinks in the in it in a way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so that was... I don't know if you want to play any of these examples. Yeah, me. I mean, I would love to. Which is your favorite? I suppose he chose you. That's the big sort of drawn out epic version of it. Yeah, that's the one where... It's the Crumberlay Lake at the end of six, and they're trying to get Kit out of the out of the goo lake. <laughs> <laughs> and this was actually my original version. And then they uh, asked for me to do kind of a different version, which is what we I ended up doing. And then, as I was recording eight, they said, "Actually, can you record your original version? We like that one better." Um, uh, so this is this is what ended up in the thing, and this was this was my original version. Rarely does that happen, but it was nice that it happened. Yeah, there's like a struggle in that. <laughs> <laughs> Very stretched out. But da, 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 da. Yeah. Oh, man, Xander. This is exceptional. <laughs> oh, it's very, very sweet. <laughs> you, you, you should be so proud of this score. It's so good. And I know that you got to play in the sandbox with James Dutton. And he, <laughs> he gave you a lot of good gifts. <laughs> but nice. you did four all the way to eight and you got to play with like these romantic moments with jade and kit and these hard moments where everyone is kind of hitting their rock bottom in seven and Graydon and allure and building all of that and playing with all of those different things it i'm telling you this is the most fun i could ever have i'm it's the show just you know it asks for all this type of music and this is the most, this is the thing that, that I would live for to write. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just a joy of all joys. Um, I, 
I know you already put so much coral in this card, but I want like a duel of the fates level, like just a crazy coral something from you because you get it you get it you get the level and like allowing Elise to kind of go nuts uh when she was able to is so good and and for the albums i even pushed all the 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 choir up i I took the choir stem and just bumped it up because i some of that stuff gets lost in the in the the actual mixes but um because there's just so much going on but uh, I would love to. I, I was able to do more. The, the paired back choral moments were mostly very sweet. Um, so it would be very fun to do a big hellish just choir. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it's my dream for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you get it so much. Like it's, I don't know. Like, I mean, thank you to Lucasfilm for saying yes to this. And then like for you just like, being allowed to like go <laughs> you're like yeah. i don't need any more motivation i'm driving <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it was such a luxury to just improve as a composer writing for choir having them as the the folks that i got to try these things out on and, and the orchestra i mean every episode i'm just trying new things on oh i think it's gonna work and uh and just learning from them and and being able to, i'm writing for three weeks and then i'm doing five days of recording and back to writing for three weeks and, and just going back and forth. It was, it was such an amazing learning process. And, um, and John and, and Tommy Harper and, and Hamid and everybody at Lucasfilm were, they kind of just said, go for it, you know? And, and, and the notes that they gave were all really helpful. And um, I generally love notes, which is, is I think I don't know people obviously uh think that it and I think for certain people it probably does dilute their vision um but for me it sometimes helps as with escape tales or something where they can say just push it further or they are my safety net of saying well actually that's not a very good idea um they never said <laughs> it that way uh they're very kind but um yeah so I and I the thing that's cool about John is that he all his references are so oblique and perpendicular to what you would think that he would refer to. So, I mean, he's not referring to other fantasy scores. He's not referring to other star Wars scores. He's referring to like in an episode in the, in the Skellen episode, um, as everybody's sort of sneaking around and eventually meets up. So you have your Allagash and Laura and, and Jaden mm-hmm. or sorry, Borman. Laura and Jane. Well, you know, all the, all the people coming together. Um, he really wanted a singular arc of music that just sort of pushes them all together. That this, this one combining force. And I had written it sort of, Oh, here's this scene. And then back to the scene. And then this scene and this scene and sort of, is sort of a dual idea. And his way of describing it to me was referring to the scene in boogie nights when Paul Thomas Anderson uses this like ref- looping uh little like four second gong idea for several minutes and it's super effective it's as mark Wahlberg gets kicked and it's a very difficult period but uh it's amazing it's amazing that that's that's his reference because it it totally gets the idea across uh without it making me think you know of something that might be too close and then i start to draw too heavily from something else um 
and he just he's able to direct in in this interesting way and uh and it's funny because his taste is very i very much aligns with my taste i mean i'm a total pta like nut case so um <laughs> it's funny we were able to to speak a very similar language in that regard too um, were there any temp tracks or was it kind of a blank canvas? Oh yeah. Um, they tempt it. Um, and, and as it sort of went on, there was more stuff that I had done or James had done, but you know, sometimes it's, it's very helpful to, to get a sense of where generally they want to be. And sometimes it really helps with the architecture of, oh, this is the important moment actually, um, and so I'll, I'll watch it and refer to it, but for the most part, it's sort of listen to it and turn it off and just go because otherwise you can yeah. end up going, oh, I, I just wrote the, te- <laughs> the temp score. <laughs> so. Do you have a, a dream that you want to get to? Like, is there a director? Is there, you know, a franchise or something that you want to work for? I mean, look, <laughs> the dream is always Star Wars. <laughs> the dream is, I've I've manifested this since I was four years old. Uh, I want to be involved with Star Wars in some way. Um, yeah, for sure. That's 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 definitely the top. Um, but in some ways, this is better for me because I Star Wars. I have so many feelings about musically, mm. <laughs> and I have so many associations, and I have s- such a clear idea of what I think Star Wars music should be a generally conservative approach, I think, um, because I'm such a Williams fanatic. Because you love what Williams (laughs) has done. Yeah. But with Willow, I loved the score, but it, it, because they wanted to take some of this in a different direction, um, it was easier for me to do that without, you know, internal struggle. Um, but also this, this show, like if you, if you put some of those themes up against the show or the original score, it just doesn't work because it mm-hmm. totally is such a different thing. Um, so it was also it, it bridges all. with the more modern music mm-hmm. more if you think about the elements in a more modern context. Absolutely, yeah, that was a big yeah. part of the discussion. Um, but yeah, no. I'm I mean, I think you have a you have a Star Wars in you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I would recommend, and this is something like that I've learned a lot from, you know, listening to Ludwig Göransson's score is just like how you did with Borman, like bring out your love, and that is where Star Wars is going in like the next generation. Mm-hmm of scoring and especially with the shows it's like you speak from your heart and you'll it it shines and you did a lot of that in this score it it's there you can tell oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't have any time so it was whatever came out of uh you're like i have to speak from in here <laughs> it, was just, it was just flowing and i let it happen <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it speaks to your brilliance that you were able to just like get that out of there, but also to the fact that you've been working at this since you were in high school. <laughs> you have a resume that many people would be like, wait, how old is he? How did he get to this level? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was... But it's because it's just something that you love to do, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's something that uh, David Collins talked about on on with your interview with them is, yeah, if you if you don't love this, why, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes that, you know, four straight months of working t- 
totally worth it because you just love doing it. Why, you know, um, so you're, you're willing to put in every extra ounce of, of work possible. And, um, yeah, it was, could not be more fun. So I'll just cross my fingers. <laughs> yeah. We're all just hoping for, uh, season two and three. I just want it all renewed at the same time. And then they can really do the story that they want to do. And I, I want nothing more than to John, to give John Kasdan the opportunity to tell this story. Cause really like, he's like your, your captain, your guy that's like driving this and it's his vision. Absolutely. And he's already thought about the shape of it so much. Um, just in the little, you know, bits and pieces I, I prodded. I mean, I wish there were, he was able to continue his solo ideas and carry on the Darth Maul idea and everything like that. So the fact that that was cut off is such a bummer. And I don't want that to happen with this because yeah, I just think he's, he's, he's so brilliant and, and, and such a visionary in, in his, uh, wild way. So I think the ideas in solo were like too early because like i love so much <laughs> like solo is just like my movie there's like a droid rebellion that is also like you know thematically what is tied into what's going on like i could yeah john is just brilliant in my opinion so <laughs> I'm so glad to meet another solo fan. I've also got, you know, as everybody said, it's it was the release date that I think hurt that movie so much. Yeah. Um, that it was so soon after another Star Wars movie. But yeah, I probably watch Solo at least once a year. Um, I think it's so good. And I think John Powell's score is incredible. Uh, like with the Bulgarian throat singers and what is done with Enfisness theme, I'm I'm obsessed with it. Um as well as just, you know, how he utilized John Williams' themes and then, like, made them his own. Um, yeah, it's so good. O Oddly, Solo is my teenager's favorite Star Wars. Really? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, we, yeah, we watch it. Like, it, you know, they love Kira, you know, they love uh, Lando and, you know, um, L3. Like, yeah, so we... We watch it regularly. And and it's it's so well directed. I mean, Ron Howard, what he did with that too. And um I know I forgot who it was who who really sort of engineered the the train heist scene. It was one of the ILM folks that that really came up with that. But oh my god. I mean it's it's some of the best action that's in Star Wars, I think, in that in that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. I yeah. Love Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and you get like really solid plays of the Vulcan in the uh asteroid field play like throughout of it it's <laughs> just fun. sorry just speaking from a score perspective i'm obsessed yeah. <laughs> Tom Powell is just so <laughs> he's so intelligent and he he's able to work he thinks so motivically and he thinks and he's able to um yeah the way that he worked with with john williams thematic material and weaves it in in such an organic way and as you say in totally in his voice though um it's yeah Tom yeah. really. It's amazing. Okay, Xander, do you have anything that you have coming up? Do you have anything that you want to talk about? Or do you just want to tell people where they can find you online? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's been goodness, amazing. Thank you for having me. It's been such a blast. Um, yeah, I hope that your listeners aren't completely bored of having to listen through so oh. many examples, but hopefully, hopefully it helps the listening experience. Um, I think... Out. 
they will find it fascinating. You do not need to worry about that. <laughs> so I, you know, I guess search my name on Spotify and listen to those albums. And I, uh, I think I'm having an, another album of mine come out relatively soon for a Western I did last year, but uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I'm working on a few things, but nothing worth talking about quite yet. That's okay. <laughs> I'm excited to hear more from you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to What the Force. I'm Marie Claire Gould, your host. Our music is provided by Christy Carew for What the Force. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We would like to thank all our patrons, especially those who love and are obsessed with What the Force. Melody, Night Huntress, In Wild Space, How Rude, Anna Perez, Neil, Christian Luca, Josh Johnson, Scott C., and Susan. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or leave a five-star review on iTunes or other pod apps. It helps people find the show. Check out our other channel on YouTube, What the Fiction. You can connect with us on Twitter at WT4Show, What the Force Podcast on Facebook, and our website, whattheforce.ca. We also have a Discord. Links are in the liner notes. Feel free to reach out and start a conversation. Cheers. Cheers.